Hey, this is Pastor Rob Miller from Reclamation Church. Just want to say thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray that this message is completely life-giving and life-changing and that you take the blessing of the Word of God with you everywhere you go this week and pour into somebody else around you. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. All right, hey, we're ready. We're diving into this new series. Uh, we launched it last week. If you've got your, your smartphone, smart device, you can pull up the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow today's message that way. Uh, you can take that home with you. I encourage you to take it home with you. Save the event because there is a devotional in there uh, called Goliath Must Fall by Lou Giglio. And if you haven't read that book, you should read it. It's going to be great. That devotion is great. Uh, so that's a seven-day devotion that I want you to take home today and do it this week. It's going to, it'll change your life. And it, it coincides with what we're talking about today, faith in the valley. So we're continuing our series, After God's Heart. Last week we kicked off the series with an introduction of what it means to be after God's heart. We kind of broke down into two meanings. One, to be similar or share in likeness to, to be after God's heart. And the second thing is to literally chase after God's heart. Because when we are pursuing the heart of God... Uh, we become a product of the heart of God. So if we want to be after, if we want to be similar to God's heart, have a heart that is similar to God's heart, then we need to be after, chasing after God's heart because then we become a product of who he is. And our two verses is found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his outward appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I don't know about you, but I want, when God looks at my heart, I want to, him to see a clean heart. I want him to see a transparent heart. Amen. And the second verse is Acts 13, 22. He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David. Oh, that we would be found by God. Amen. The son of Jesse, a man after my heart. And this is the key part, who will do my will who will do my will. And so we're looking at David over the next few weeks. I think we're going to go all the way through the end of September with this series. There's so much in the life of David. I mean, so many highs, so many lows, but through it all, David remained steadfast. There's that word. Through it all, David remained unwavering, unshakable. He remained loyal in the face of challenges to God. And today we're reading a chapter. We're literally reading a chapter. Okay. So we're reading 1 Samuel chapter 17, almost the entire chapter. I'm going to break it down into segments. So I'm not going to take like 45 minutes just to read the whole chapter to you up front. We're going to break it down into segments. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get there. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're literally pulling a chapter out of David's life and we're applying it to us today. And we're going to pull five commitments Five commitments that David, five commitments that a person after God's heart makes. And we're going to learn to apply and commit to those commitments today. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at 1 Samuel 17. We're just going to read verse 2 to 11 right now. Just, just 10 verses, 11 verses. Is that good? Verses 10, 2 through 11. 1 Samuel 17, 2 through 11. It says, Saul, this is King Saul, and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. 
with the valley between them. Listen, victory is found on the other side of the valley. If you're in the valley today, keep pushing through to the other side of the valley. Amen. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine foot nine inches. That's like almost four feet on top of me, right? Nine feet, nine inches. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he, has, he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 150 pounds. Just, just the coat that he was wearing was about 150 pounds. And he also had bronze, bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of a spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. His shield carrier walked before him, and he stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and, your servants of, and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Verse 10 says, it again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now listen to this. When Saul and Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Would you pray with me and for me today? Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to dive into your word today. We thank you that we can come here and learn uh, to be a woman or a man after your heart. We pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Remove all barriers, remove all mountains, remove all giants, remove all walls. Let us hear your word today and let us more importantly go about doing what you have commanded us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The first commitment, we're, we're talking about five commitments today. I'm going to try to go this, through this as fast as I can. The first commitment we're talking about is simply commit to others. A person after God's heart commits to others. Pastor, what do you mean about that? I, spot, I thought we were supposed to commit to God. Yes, and commit to the church, the body of Christ, collective, because we are one together. Let me break this down. Goliath taunted the army of Israel, challenging a one-on-one -on -one fight for victory. Listen, the enemy will come against you and challenge you to a one-on-one -on -one fight because he knows that he can't take on the entire army. He knows he can't take on the entire army, so he's going to try to intimidate and isolate you and present a champion against you. That one thing that you're always struggling with, that one champion that you just can't seem to get over, he's always going to present this one thing to you because he knows he can't take on the entire army. He can't take on the church because the Bible even says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, collective, the body of Christ. So we have to commit to others. See, the gates of hell cannot, present, cannot prevail against the body. And the tactics of the enemy are plain and simple, yet very effective. He will try fear and intimidation to isolate you. He intimidates to isolate. It's like the roar of a lion. I remember uh, we went to the Colorado Zoo when we lived out there, and there was always a lion that would always just roar, like for no reason. It's loud. 
What, what is it, MGM? The, the dun, 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 that's 20th Century Fox. Either way, but you see the lion, right? <laughs> the roar of a lion is so intimidating. It can be heard for five miles. It can be heard for five miles. And there's three different reasons that, that uh, are they biologists? Animalologists? <laughs> Zoologists? <laughs> there, there's three different reasons that they say that a lion roars. And the first one, I think, really speaks to us today. Number one, it's a territorial proclamation. This is my land. This is what I own. And the second is that, that they, they, they roar just to communicate with others. And the third, they're just angry. Or hungry, right? But I think that first one really speaks to us. It's, it's that, that someone said that in their studies of lions in Africa, he said the roar is an awesome message of power that he is Lord and master of all that he surveys. How fitting that the Holy Spirit moved upon Peter to say in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the enemy, our adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Because he, is, he, he wants to be Lord and master over all that he surveys. And it's intimidating. He could be five miles off, but you could hear him roar. He could be so far away, but you could hear him roar. And the thing is, we cower in fear and we, we get so intimidated that we invite him in. We cower and, let, and submit ourselves to him to be Lord and master over us. That's not how it should be. He is not to be our Lord nor our master. He wants to create this tremendous fear to get you isolated and in your isolation find self-condemnation. Look, when I'm preaching the word, I, I say this all the time, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if I'm preaching the word and you feel condemned, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation leads to rejection and rebellion. It moves people away. But conviction leads to repentance, leads to, leads to change. So what the devil does is when you, when you find yourself being condemned, that's not God. If you find yourself being judged and condemned, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil trying to shame and isolate you to get you to withdraw from the church, from the collective body of Christ. Conviction leads to repentance. It draws people closer. So I want to encourage you today, if, if, if anything I ever preach feels like condemnation, Say, shut up, devil. I just need a change in my life. That's all that is. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, I need to change. Don't let the, don't let the devil try to twist that on you and say, no, I'm just being condemned in church. That's not it. Amen? We, we work together. We live together. And he wants to create this, this tremendous fear to get us isolated, self-condemned, so that we withdraw from people. We withdraw from God's word. And listen, no matter how weak or how strong you are as a Christian, an attack always comes when you're alone. And you are unable to fight yourself. Let me say it. You are unable to fight the devil yourself. He presents a champion to fight you one-on-one -on -one because he knows he can't win against the body. You cannot win this yourself. So he wants to isolate. He wants to cut us off, to seclude us, to get you away in order to do what he does best, to kill, steal, and to destroy your life, your relationships, the work of God in you and the work of God through you. And this is a real thing. This is a serious thing, especially right here, right now. Don't withdraw. Don't pull away from the church. Press in. There's a lot going on. 
but we need each other, right? The body needs each other. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Y'all know that song. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. Right? I need you to survive. It's a good song. Look it up. But this is why gathering together is a necessity. This is why we gather together. And it's important to team up with the army of God. This is why we are here. This is why we church. That's a, that's a verb. This is why we church. This is why we do things together. Amen. Because look, the Bible even encourages one can put a thousand in flight. That's great. Two can put 10,000. That's better. Amen. And a three chord strand is not easily broken. Commit to others. And, and I love it because Peter gives us two things. One, he gives us the warning. The devil roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may, whom he may devour. But the other thing, he gives us another thing in 1 Peter 5.10. He, he finishes it with a promise. First, he gives us a warning, but then he finishes it with a promise. And he says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little. Mm. See, there's wounds that we have to go through. There's things that have to happen in our life. It, it, has, it just happens. It, the Bible never promised that we wouldn't experience these things. But Jesus did promise that he would be with us through these things. Wounds happen. There, there's real battles that happen. Tough things happen to people who love God. But listen, look, look, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, he himself will restore you. God himself will restore. He's not going to, like, let you do it on your own. And, and like, like so many of us, do, oh, I'm praying for you. You got it. No, God does it himself. He restores you and brings you back. He makes you strong, firm, and there's that word again. Steadfast, unshakable, unwavering. To him be power forever and ever. Look, the devil's roar is fearful. It is certain he does it, but his attack is certainly predictable. We have to understand, we have to know it's coming. It's going to come. So it's all about how do you respond how do you respond to the Goliaths that are taunting you? How do you respond when, when the devil comes to you and says, who is your God? Where is he now? How do you respond? And, and I love, listen, God's promise is to deploy in that suffering, in that proclamation. I love what David says. You come to me with spear and sword and all this good stuff, all this really cool technological, yeah, you're cool, Goliath. But I come to you in the name of the living God. See, it don't matter what you come to me against. I have something that is greater. I have something that is better. Amen. And look, the devil, the, the enemy wants to take issues in your life and make you. He likes to compound the problem to make it seem like it's worse than it is. And, you know, the marriage will never work out. My finances will never get better. My son, my daughter will never come back to Christ. This health issue will never go away. I'll never find a job. I'll never break this addiction. And we listen to these lies that he, he throws at us and pierces us with. He uses it to, to intimidate us and isolate us. But you're not immune to suffering. I'm not immune to suffering. Amen. It's a fallen world. He never promised. In fact, he, he even said, in the world you'll have tribal, trials, tribulations, you'll have suffering. But he does promise that he'll be with you. He takes the suffering, and as we suffer, he uses it to do really, really, really 
great things. Amen. It's not wasted suffering. The truth is sometimes, I love this, sometimes our worst times are God's best times. Sometimes our worst times are God's best times to use our lives. The valley was one of the best things that happened to David. Goliath was one of the best things that happened to David. Facing a giant in the valley was one of the best things that happened to David. In other words, it takes a Goliath to reveal the David in you. It takes a valley to reveal the warrior in you. Amen? Don't withdraw. Don't isolate. Commit to others. Practice accountability. Practice brother keeping. Am I my brother's keeper? 100% yes. Practice accountability. Practice brother keeping because you need more, more than yourself if you're going to find a victory in the valley. Commit to others. Number two, commit to faith. Commit to faith. Look, let's jump down with me to, to verse 26, and then we're going to read 31 to 37. Verse 26 says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I like, let me, let me stop right there because this isn't even in my notes, but this really just spoke to me. This isn't King Saul's army. Do you see how he identified that? You guys are not my army. This is not Pastor Rob's church. You're not my soldiers. Amen. I love how David classifies this. Who is this person who defies the armies of the living God? Not the army of Saul, not the army of Israel, the army of the living God. Because there's something powerful behind the living God versus man. Who is this that would defy the armies of the living God? Jump down to verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. Uh-oh. <laughs> they told him to Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall or fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, while he was but a warrior from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant, listen, I, I hear you, Saul. I hear you. I got you. Hang on. Let, let me tell you my story now. He says, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Verse 36 says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, all right, then go. Commit to faith. 
I love what he says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will. Somebody say, God will. If you're watching online, drop it in the comments. God will. The one who delivered me in the past from all of this, God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. God will. See, faith is not just a declaration that God can. It is living and walking in the God will. It's knowing that it's already taken care of. It's knowing that the deal is already done. It's knowing and living and walking in that God will. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what keeps us grounded and unshakable in the valley. Because it's, it, it can see that the valley is not the destination, it's, the just, it's just the transition point. The valley is not the destination, it's just the transition point. It's by faith that we can say that the mountains that form the valley be moved. Jesus said that. With just a little bit of faith, you can say to this mountain be moved. Y'all ever been to a valley? It takes a mountain to form a valley. So it's by faith that I can say to this mountain, be moved. And I'm no longer facing a mountain, I'm walking on green pastures. It's by faith that I can say, you got to move, you got to get out of here. Because you're not meant to stand in my way. Nothing can stand in my way because God will make a way. Even when it seems to be no way. He can, he will. It's by faith that we say to the mountains, you got to move. you got to be moved because i got to transition from this valley to victory. i got to transition from this valley to green pastures where I can find rest, where I can find peace. I have to move from this valley. This ain't it. Yeah. <sighs> Pursue. Hallelujah. This ain't it. That, that should have been our theme this year. This ain't it. <laughs> Look... <laughs> We cannot let fear isolate us in the valley. And I think too often we settle in the valley because the mountain just seems too big to climb. The mountain seems too daunting. The task seems too daunting. But we forget that we're not meant to climb the mountain. The mountain is meant to fall flat. We're not meant to climb the mountain. The mountain is meant to melt like wax before the Lord. The only mountains I'm climbing is where the Spirit of the Lord is. That's when I climb a mountain. Other than that, they're supposed to move. Other than that, they're supposed to fall flat. They're supposed to melt like wax. And here's why that's important. Because I love what Samuel, y'all know Samuel Rodriguez. Powerful. I love what he says. This is a little quote from him. He says, your children will one day walk on top of the ruins of what you knocked down in this generation. Be it Goliath, a wall, or a mountain, it's got to fall. It's important that we take care of it here and now. Let me tell you why. Joshua chapter 11, verse 22. Y'all know anything about the Anakim? Anakim, Nephilim. Goliath was a descendant of Anakim. There was a whole race of giants. And, and Joshua and Caleb, when they came into the promised land, they said, or, or Caleb himself said, I'm going to go and take care of all these giants. And so he did, a, he did a really good job. But some of them escaped. Some of them, some of them got out of town. They got out of Dodge. And they settled in these places, Gaza, Gath, and, and, and uh, there's another one. It's in my notes. I should probably go look at it. Three different areas. These places eventually became under the control of the Philistines, the arch enemy of Israel. And so they were, they were, they were uh, contracted. They were into the army. You know what I'm saying? Drafted. They were conscripted. 
They were conscripted into the Philistine army. See, see, look, what you don't kill today, your children are going to have to face in the future. What you don't take care of now, that if you don't face your Goliath now, somebody else is going to have to face Goliath in the future. What you don't knock down now, your children will have to face. So this is why it's important to take care of your giants now, to get rid of them. And, and Goliath wasn't the only one. You can read throughout the, uh, the rest of 1 Samuel. You can read through Chronicles. Uh, Goliath had a brother. Goliath had three kids, right? And, and so you got to kill them now to get rid of them now or else your children will be facing them in the future. Amen? And look, faith is seeing and living beyond my current circumstances. I can look at the giant in the face and be fearful, or I can look at the giant in the face and say, you're going to fall. Fear, fear, faith is living beyond what that circumstance is, and faith is built on trust or assurance and evidence. To have faith in God is to have faith in his trustworthiness. And the best way to do that is to consider God's track record. Commit to faith. Consider his track record. People will be like, you can't do it. There's no way you can do it. There's no way you're going to make it. Let me tell you what God did. That's what Saul said to David. Bro, look at you. You really think you can fight this guy? And David, David wasn't like, yeah, you're right. No, David was like, I see you, but there was this time that a bear came, and, I, and I, I just grabbed him by the hair, and I killed him. There was this time that this lion came, and I just grabbed him by the hair, and I killed him. This guy, eh. <laughs> he's just another lion or, or a bear. And that's what, that's what you gotta, we got to focus on that. We, we commit to faith because we consider God's track record. Faith is built on trustworthiness, and we know that God takes care of his children because he has a proven track record. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because he's already taken care of everything, and I know he's got my tomorrow because he's got my past. He's covered everything already. He's worked everything out, and I know he's working it out today, right here, and now for my tomorrow. Consider the track record. Someone who is trustworthy has a track record worth following through on what they say is going to do. Listen, you have to recall the former victories. You have to recall the former victories of what God has done in your life and how he's followed through. And I like what happens because David does it before he's on the battlefield. You have to recall those victories. Build that faith up before you even get onto the battlefield. Remember what God has brought you from. Because that gives you faith. That gives you confidence. That's why David could say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Because he knew that God takes care of him. He knew that God takes care of his children. And so this is why we praise. This is why we come together and we praise collectively. Because we remember, look what God has done. Look how he brought me up. Look how he brought me up. I used to have cancer and he miraculously healed me. I used to have problems with cigarettes and boom, overnight, I have no desire for them anymore. I used to have problems with drugs and boom, overnight, I have no problem with it anymore. These strongholds that used to rule over my life, God has uprooted and pulled away from me. I no longer worry about these things. This is why we praise. We praise to remind ourselves how God follows through with his promises, and it builds our faith, it builds our confidence in his word and his promises. And I love what David says to King Saul 
right there in verse 34, Saul questions his ability. And he says, look, your servant was tending sheep. And a lion and a bear came, and I took care of them. Your servant killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine because I am in his hand. Amen. See, Goliath had a title. He was the champion. David had a testimony. Goliath had a title, but David had a testimony. All I need is a testimony. All I need is to remind myself of what God has done in my life. All I need is to remind myself of what God has done in my child's life. All I need is to remind myself what God has done every step of the way. And to remind the enemy what God has done. All I need is a testimony. And I need to use it. Listen, your testimony needs to be battle tested. What good is a testimony if it's not tested? Your testimony needs to be battle tested. I love it. Saul tells him to go and, and he tries to equip David with his own armor. <laughs> he tries to give David his own armor. And in the verses that follow, you can see at verse 39, he says, I love what David says. King, I, I get it. Thank you very much. This, this, is, this is an honor. Thank you. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He says, yo, king, I can't use these. Why? He says, I can't use these because I have not tested them. I can't use these because I have, they're not battle tested for me. I've not tested these before. You see, King Saul, my weapons are battle tested. My sling, my stone, I've used them. I know how to use them. They're battle tested. My harp. My worship, my song makes demons flee. They are battle tested. I know my weapons. I can't use yours because mine are battle tested. I'm sorry, King, but I need mine. We have to learn to stop relying on other people's prayers and their worship and their relationship with God to get you through the battle that God has anointed you and called you to fight. Your weapons need to be battle tested. Your worship needs to be battle tested. Your word, God's word, the stone in the sling needs to be battle tested. You cannot live on somebody else's word. You cannot live on somebody else's worship. This has to be yours. Sometimes you just got to look at somebody and say, thanks for your prayers, but this is something I got to pray about. I think too often we're like, hey, can you pray for me? And then we just don't even utter a single sentence. Use the weapons of your warfare. And you might say, but pastor, the battle is the Lord's. Yeah. But even David showed up to fight. Even Israel showed up to fight. The battle is the Lord's, but you still got to show up. Which brings me to my third one. Commit to act. Commit to act. While you're on the battlefield, commit to follow through. Faith without works is dead. 
It's pointless. You can look the part, but will you act the part? I love it because it said that the army of Israel had gone up in battle array. They were positioned. They were ready. The soldiers were probably all decked out in their gear. They looked the part. They sent out a war cry. They shouted out the war cry. They sounded the part. Yet they remained fixed in fear on the other side of the valley. You can look the part, but it means nothing unless you act the part. David was battle tested. He knew the true commander of the army of Israel, the God of Israel. Now look, look at verse 47, 41 to 47. He says, then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. You got to throw that in there. Then the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you came to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Listen, this is really good. This is really key. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. (laughs) Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a spear and a sword. And a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. All I need is a name. All I need is a testimony. All I need is a name. Goliath, you might have the title, but my God has the name. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, look at somebody and say this day. If you're online, drop it in the comments. This day, this day that the Lord has made. This is the day. This Day, this day I will rejoice. I will be glad because this day is committed to slaying giants. He says this day, right here, right now, Goliath falls. And he continues, he says, the Lord will deliver you this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. Let me stop right there because sometimes we wait for the giant to fall, but we forget to cut the head off. And Goliath raises to approach us another day. You got to commit to follow through. You got to commit to act. You can't just wait for him to fall. You got to get, get rid of him altogether. Amen. You got to cut the head off. He says, This day I will strike you down, remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines. Not just you, Goliath. Goliath, you said it would be me, but it's not just you, Goliath. It's the entire army of the Philistines. This day, I will strike you down, remove your head from you, that give the bodies of the army of every single one of you to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth, that the earth and all that it inhabits, that the earth and all that there is will know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly here right now would know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Goliath, I hear you. You're threatening me. My God is going to take out all of you. That's huge. We need to understand that. When God works, it's not just to pluck up a little thing. It's to pluck up all of it, to get rid of all of it, to eradicate all of it. Amen? Oh, Goliath, you say that you'll take me out. My God is going to take you and your army out. And all of the world will know that there's a God in Israel. Listen, who is your God? And does the world know who your God is? David said, all of the world will know 
that there's a God in Israel. Everything that you do should show the world who your God is. It should declare and proclaim who your God is. Are you submitted to giants or are you submitted to the living God? Are they face down and under your feet or are they still facing you every day? And that's what I love. David, after he lands his blow with his sling and stone, Goliath comes falling face down. He he didn't fall on his back. You would think a Goliath, a a giant, after being hit in the head, you know, what what is that? Inertia? Is it inertia? I'm not a scientist or a geologist or a paleontologist, whatever they are, physicists, all of the gists. But I know how my God works. See, physics would say that an object going this way would cause that thing to also go that way if it hit it. No, David came falling flat on his face before the face of God. And that's what we need to understand. Our God is greater and our giants are meant to be bowing face down before our God. Amen. Who is your God? Take a stand. Fight. Make your giants fall flat before the Lord. Who is your God, are you just another soldier or are you a David? Are you trembling in your armor or are you facing the giants? I'm not here to blend in. I'm here to take a stand and I'm here to take a step against the enemy. Amen. Brings me to number four. Commit to expanding your boundaries. Not just establishing your boundaries, expanding your boundaries. Commit to expanding your boundaries. Now, now we have to remember that this chapter, chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, immediately follows David's anointing by the prophet Samuel. Chapter 16, David is anointed to be king. Chapter 17, he's fighting a giant. I don't think there's any coincidence there. I just don't think how fitting that, that one of the first things that happens after his anointing as he's facing a giant, because here's the power behind the anointing. You ready for this? Look at Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Here's the power behind the anointing. It says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. That's the power behind the anointing. It breaks strongholds. It breaks the yoke of bondage. It breaks oppression. And here the Philistine army has been oppressing the people of Israel, but David has been anointed to lead the kingdom of Israel. And it's already, he's already beginning to act in his anointing and his calling before he's even the king. Listen, you don't have to wait for a title to begin operating in your anointing and your calling. If you are called to preach the gospel, preach the gospel. You don't need a piece of paper to preach the gospel. You don't need title to, uh, the, the pastor title to be a preacher. You don't need the evangelist title to, 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 be a, 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 to, to go and preach the gospel. If you are called and anointed to lead your home, lead your home. Lead your family. Lead your children. Lead your workplace. You don't need a title to walk in your anointing. You don't have to wait for a title. Amen. If you're waiting on a title, you've missed it. If you are waiting on a title, you've missed it. it if, if God has anointed you to preach, preach. If he's anointed you to lead, lead. Because here's the thing. 
There's a reason King Saul and the army of Israel is fixed in fear. And not overcoming the enemy. Saul has lost his anointing. And because he has lost his anointing, he has lost the vision and the pursuit to lead the kingdom to victory. To be a man or a woman after God's heart means that we have to be pursuing his heart, his will, his kingdom. Amen? All of which are for you to conquer your giants. Let me break that down. His heart is for you to conquer your giants. His will is for you to conquer your giants. Not that you won't face them, but that you will kill them. His kingdom is to advance beyond the face of your giants. His heart, his will, his kingdom is for you to conquer your giants. Listen to one of the biggest problems that, that David, uh, one of the biggest problems we have now is that our Davids refuse to face our Goliaths and stand against them. David proclaimed the sovereignty and the power of the Lord in his victory over Goliath. What if David were to accept Goliath? What if David would be like, hey, Goliath, I see you. You, you know, you're a giant. You're like one of the only ones left. I love you, bro. I love you for you. Come be a part of our army. Come be a part of our family. What if David were to accept Goliath instead of defeat him? That's the problem that we have, this, this, this idea of accepting. He would be proclaiming over his life and over Israel, not just him. Listen, this isn't just about you. This is over your family. This is over your workplace. This is over all that you influence. It would be declaring the sovereignty and power of a giant that he was meant to defeat. If David were to accept him, look, unfortunately, society's need and cry for acceptance is most of the time acceptance, where anything except God is accepted. Does that make sense? Our giants are not meant to be accepted. We cannot live in this, in this cry for acceptance, because that's just anything except God is accepted. Lots of exceptions going on there. We cannot accept what we are meant to kill. And more importantly, we need to kill our giants. Amen. That means we need to establish boundaries. We have to establish boundaries. And I say, and say look, 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 devil, this is the line. I'm drawing the line in the in sand. You can't take another step. Not just that, but this is the bloodline. The blood of Jesus Christ reigns here. And you cannot cra uh, cross this bloodline. The bloodline and the bloodline of my heritage in Christ Jesus. Amen. Devil, that's enough. You cannot cross the blood of Jesus. You no longer have control over my life. You no longer have control over my family. You no longer have room in my home, room in my head, or room in my heart. This is the difference between David and Saul. Look at the difference. At the beginning of this chapter, in verse 2, it says that the army of Israel went up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. But if we look right here in verse 48, it says that David came running quickly toward the giant. We're not here to meet our giants. We're here to kill and defeat our giants. 
Amen? So look, there's a difference. There's, there's a line. There's this place where the armies come and encounter. But David said, look, I see the line, but the line is still too close. I've got to expand my boundaries. This is the line, yes, but it's got to go beyond that. I've got to go beyond and expand my boundaries. There was intent. There was drive. There was motivation behind David's actions, not just to encounter, but to engage the enemy. Amen. Not to just kill Goliath, but to destroy the entire army. To not give them one more inch, but to take back all that they had stole. So if we are going to be committed to expanding our boundaries, we have to first commit to establish them. More importantly, we have to commit to expanding and reclaiming all that we have lost. After David slays Goliath, I love it, it says the armies of Israel pursued the Philistines from the valley of Elah to the gates of Ekron. I've looked this up. It ranges anywhere from two and a half kilometers to 15 miles. I don't know. Y'all be the judge. Either way, that's a lot of ground to recapture. That's a lot of ground to reclaim. And it says that they chased him all the way from the valley of Elah, where David killed Goliath, to the gates of Ekron. And when they returned, listen, they plundered the camp. You got to take back what he stole from you. If he stole your joy, go and get your joy back. If he stole your hope, go and get your hope back. I know this is a cliche thing in the church, but you got to go and get it back. You have to go and reclaim what you have lost. We have to be committed to expanding the reach of the kingdom of God in our own life and reclaim what the enemy has stolen. How far does the kingdom reach in your own life? Is it just outside the walls? Is it just outside your heart? Is God's kingdom allowed just in the gates one time a week? Or has God's kingdom all consumed in your life where he is sitting on the throne of your heart? Take a stand against the enemy. Take a step toward the enemy and watch God work. You'll be walking over your giants soon enough. But you have to take that first step to get there. To find victory. That's It's my last commitment. This one's huge. Commit to victory. Commit to victory. Again, after David kills Goliath, after Goliath falls, we read in verse 52 that the army of Israel pursued the Philistines from the valley of Elah to the gates of Ekron. Elah in the Hebrew is associated with an oak tree. Something that is firm, planted. A stronghold. This was a stronghold for the kingdom of Israel. Here, Israel faced a stronghold, the fiercest and most intimidating enemy yet, an enemy rooted in its history. As we were talking about with Joshua chapter 11, verse 22. And I believe many of us are in that valley today looking historic giants in the face that we have just been unable to uproot looking at a stronghold in the face. And look, again, it looks, ta- it looks daunting. It looks like the giant is just rooted down too deep. But if I'm committed to victory, if I'm going to commit to victory, I must understand that means complete victory. It's not just little wins. Little wins is not a complete victory. The, the, the stone hitting giant's head, that's a little win. David cutting his head off, that's victory. Pursuing the Philistines and eradicating them, that's victory. 
It's not just the little wins. I have to commit to complete victory. Look, if David were to kill Goliath, because we read that he kills Goliath and then the armies of Israel pursue the Philistines. If David were to kill Goliath and just get right back into the ranks and Israel just stayed right there, that wouldn't be victory. They'd still be facing the enemy. There wouldn't be complete and total victory. Listen, if you're going to have victory, you have to completely uproot who or what's in front of you and keep moving forward. If you're going to find victory, you have to completely uproot it. And I say this on purpose because the gates of Ekron, Ekron in Hebrew, if you were to translate it, it says, one, eradication, and two, uproot. They took the oak tree and uprooted it. They took the stronghold that the enemy had and eradicated it and uprooted it. Your complete victory is a complete eradication of the enemy in your life to be plucked up. We don't just pursue the enemy. We eradicate him. We don't just fight the enemy. We defeat him. Amen. What seems rooted as a stronghold, we uproot, we destroy completely, commit to victory. I love what Pastor Samuel Rodriguez says again. Let me just point this out really quick because this isn't in my notes either. But I feel like I need to say this. And I know I'm, I'm running out of time. This is my shepherd's bag. Satchel. Indiana Jones had one. When, when David gets to the battlefield, his, his dad, Jesse, was like, hey, go check on your brothers. Let me stop right there. Check on your brothers. Check on your sisters. He says, go and check on your brothers. And then take like this wheel of cheese, take all of these supplies to the front. So David brings all these supplies to the front. He sees, he, he hears Goliath. He sees what's going on. And it says that he checks his baggage with the baggage keeper. Look it up, it's in there. He checked his baggage with the baggage keeper. But we see when he's going to pick up the stones before he faces Goliath, that he still has his shepherd's bag. stops by the brook. Some of us just need to stop by at the brook. And he picks up five smooth stones. And I got these, they, they may have been a little bigger than this. I don't know. These are the, the five smooth stones that were big enough for a visual. Can y'all see them? He picks up five smooth stones and it says that he put them in a shepherd's bag. But he only used one to kill Goliath. Why? 
brothers for his sons. Maybe. But I love, I love how Pastor Samuel, it's too good not to steal. I'm going to steal it. Pastor Samuel, if you ever see this, thank you. No doubt he'll ever see it. I don't know if he does. Why would he pick up five stones? And I love what Pastor Rodriguez says. He says, are you a one stone believer? Or are you a, a one stone Christian? Let me break this down. First Samuel 17, 40, David picks up five smooth stones from the brook as he prepares to confront the, the giant called Goliath. Why five? Why not just one? Did he not have faith enough that the one would do the job? I think it's simple to convey a, med a message that Goliath is not the only giant on the face. Are you a one-stone Christian or are you a five-stone Christian? See, see, while we were worshiping, I, I heard this in my spirit, bring me another one. Bring me another one. Giants are still being slain. Bring me another one. I imagine that would be the fervor that David had. Bring me another one. Because my God will. I'm not, I'm not here for just one giant. I'm here for all of them. And here's the key. I know where the brook is. So I can always go and recharge my shepherd's bag. I am always ready and willing to fight any giant that would come my way, any giant that would stand against my marriage, it's got to fall. Any giant that would stand against my family, it's got to fall. Any giant that would stand against my children, it's got to fall. My children's children, my grandchildren, it's got to fall. Any giant that would dare stand against the church, it's got to fall. Any giant that would stand against this nation, it's got to fall. We need to understand we cannot be just a one stone Christian. We must be always ready, always prepared to fight anything and anyone and any giant that would come against us. I'm not just a one stone Christian. I'm ready, willing to fight, stand my ground, take one step toward the enemy because I know my God will, my God can, my God did. Would you stand with me as we close today? Father, we love you. We thank you that you will, that you do, that you have, that you can, that you always will, that you are more than enough for me, that nothing can stand against me when I have you on my side. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are partnering with me and that the Goliaths must fall at the sound of your name. I come declaring the name of the Lord and all the works that he has done in my life. This is my story. This is my song. I will praise my Savior all day long because I know I have the victory in him. And today, church, I want you to declare this. Today, I am committing. I am committing to have a heart after God, to commit to others, to fight the battles with them, to commit to faith, but also to act on that faith and to commit not to just establish my boundaries, but to expand my boundaries and to commit to complete and utter victory today. I will eradicate the enemy and uproot it from my life. This day, this hour, this is my time. I'm not waiting for tomorrow. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad
because Goliath is going to fall. The giants are going to fall. The strongholds will be uprooted and torn down. And if that's you right here, right now, I, I don't care about COVID. We're going to pray because I have faith that my God can uproot anything in your life. And if you are struggling with any kind of stronghold, you need to be up here right now praying using your weapons, not anybody else's weapons. You need your weapons battle tested right here, right now. We're going to sing the song, This Is A Move. If you need a breakthrough, come get the move of the Holy Spirit. If you need an uprooting, a stronghold, a giant to fall in your life, this is where you need to be right here, right now. If you're watching online, stand right there where you are. Raise your hands and just bow before the Lord, the living God. Giants are falling today in the name of Jesus. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dare defy the army of the living God? This day, I find my victory. This day, I find my freedom. Devil, you might have a roar. But my praises roar louder. I will shout the name of the Lord. Jesus! I'm here for you, nobody else. Do what you need to do. If that's you, come. Come find your freedom. Come find victory. Let's pray. Let's worship today. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to this week's message from Reclamation Church. We pray it was a blessing to you. We want to encourage you to take this message everywhere, everywhere with you and pour into those around you. And if you would love to be a blessing to the Reclamation Church ministry, you can easily give at our website at reclamationchurch.faith. Scroll down to the bottom and click on online giving, or you can even text to give any dollar amount to 84321 and set up a giving account with Reclamation Church. Again, we pray that this was a blessing. Be a blessing to those around you this week, and may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you with the light of his countenance and, be, uh, and give you peace this week. Amen. Be blessed.